You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 7 today. Uh, if you're new or fairly new to us, we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. Probably the most famous section of teaching in all of human history. And today's passage is going to be pretty sobering. It's a very serious topic. If you're new, um, our, our style or method of preaching is expository, which means we go like verse by verse through books of the Bible, which means we don't get to pick and choose the topics that we cover. Sometimes it's very sweet. Josh's sermon last week was very sweet, very encouraging, very uplifting. Other times like this week, we're going to be confronted with very serious warnings or choices ahead of us. But the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' sermon. The Bible is his book, so we trust him in that. And I was sharing with a friend and pastor this week, uh, like the verse I was going to be uh, preaching on. He shared back a Tim Keller, Tim Keller quote, and just to summarize it, we all want renewal, we want to see conversions, we want to see people come to Christ. But if we're going to do that, then we have to preach like the apostles did. And so the good news of the gospel doesn't make any sense. It's not going to be sweet if it's not also presented with the serious diagnosis of our own sin. And at the same time, the bad news is only going to crush us and burden us if it's not also presented with Christ's glorious victory and salvation offered to all. And so preaching through the books of the Bible ensures hopefully that our tone, our topics, and our balance mirrors the same tone, covers the same topics, and maintains the same balance that Jesus, the apostles, the rest of the scriptures did. So here we go. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, there are Bibles, sorry I forgot to mention this, you might be a little behind now. There's Bibles under your seats, if you don't have one, you're welcome to use your own electronic device as well. Matthew chapter 7, just verses 13 and 14 this week. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We're kind of rounding the, rounding the bend on the very end of the Sermon on the Mount now, and here's where Jesus finally gets to kind of like a call of response to his hearers that have been sitting listening to his preaching. John Stott, he's a, a pretty famous evangelical Anglican kind of leader from the middle of the last century. He kind of describes the transition this way. Enter by the narrow gate, he begins. That is the contrast between two kinds of righteousness and of devotion, two treasures, two masters, and two ambitions that has been faithfully set out. So that's what Jesus has covered so far. And now the time for decision has come. Is it going to be the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God? The prevailing culture or the Christian counterculture? Jesus continues with his presentation of the alternative as he describes two ways, two teachers, false and true, two pleas, word and deed, and finally two foundations, sand and rock. What he's saying is that Jesus is going to end the Sermon on the Mount by offering a choice, a series of contrasts. This morning, we're just going to deal with the first one, the broad and easy way that leads to destruction versus the narrow and hard way that leads to life. But Stott's point is this. Jesus sets before us one choice, two options. So look with me here in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate is a command. And then immediately with for, or a because statement, he's going to explain why he's commanding you to enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. 
This gate that leads to destruction is life according to our own wisdom, life according to the world's wisdom, life lived our own way, life lived in rebellion against God. Because for as many people who have a will for their own life, there are that many different paths. That's why it's, it's very wide. Adam and Eve preferred to eat the fruits and be like God. Cain preferred to stroke his own eagle, satisfy his anger by murdering his brother. Pharaoh preferred to plunge his kingdom into disaster by refusing to let God's people go and humbling himself before God. The faithless generation of Israelites, they preferred the chains of Egypt. They wanted to go back and lick the hands that fed them, then uh, enter the promised land, defeat the Canaanites, and enter into their inheritance. There are many ways to rebel against God. Any number of paths lead away from him. The gate is so wide that it hardly deserves to be called a gate, really. Several times in the New Testament, authors give us a description of what this wide and easy path looks like. I found seven or eight descriptions really easily. I'm only going to cover three examples here. The first is Galatians 5, 19 to 21, and as I cover these, they should appear on the screen. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or here's from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Ephesians 5, 2-6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. From these lists, we see that there are lots of ways to refuse to enter the kingdom and rebel against its king. Three times we heard, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? It's the pervasive Uh, saving reign of of God through Christ that results in a society that lives like Jesus has just described on the Sermon on the Mount, where there is no self-righteousness, there's no hatred, there's no lust, there's no divorce, there's no cycles of vengeance, there's no greed, there's no worry, there's no uh, hypocritical judgment. And Jesus sums it up, everyone treats each other like they would want to be treated. Do you desire that kind of kingdom? Is that the city that you want to live in? Then you need to enter by the narrow gate. Carnal sins like drunkenness, brutality, every form of sexual immorality, fits of rage, filthy language, all of these disqualify you from inheriting the kingdom of God. But also inner sins, sins of the will or the heart, sins like pride, jealousy, greed, idolatry, being divisive, These things are just as wicked and result in the exact same condemnation, eternal destruction. The gate is wide that leads to destruction. The gate is wide. There's many paths that lead to destruction, but it's also easy. It's really easy to go to hell. Why is it easy? The way that leads to destruction 
is a way that we love ourselves. We put ourselves first, our own interests above others, and that just comes kind of natural to us. For instance, getting drunk is a lot of fun. It feels really good to drink in excess. It's easy to sin in drunkenness. Sexual immorality can be fun. It's really easy to just follow your heart and let your passions guide you and govern you when it comes to romantic relationships rather than listening to God's law. It's, it's much more natural to just be authentic and follow your, your will and your heart when it comes to romance. Filthy language is an easy path to tread. When we're angry or surprised or frustrated or we want to make a cool joke or we want to strike back at someone that's hurt us, filthy language seems like a really easy answer to give us outlet for, for that desire that we have. Brutality is an easy path to tread. Let your anger spin you up into a fit of rage and then harm people with words or even blows that damage them. Uh, it's the most easy, natural thing in the world for some people to get angry, to just blow up. Being arrogant is really easy. It's just our natural default setting as human beings to consider ourselves more highly than we ought. And then je jealousy thus comes easily to us. Whether we wish you had someone else's husband, someone else's house, someone else's job, our pride makes it really easy to think that we deserve those things instead of them. And divisions, rivalries, and dissensions come easily. Our pride gets wounded, our intellect is challenged, our social standing is threatened, and so we go out and we'll find a group of friends, assemble a little army to try to get back at the person who has threatened us. The gate is wide, and the way is really easy that leads to destruction. It's so easy to pursue our own destruction because we make ourselves the center of our solar system. What you desire, your own pleasure, your own gain, your own fame, are what you live for. And so you never actually have to make any difficult decisions on the wide and easy path. It might be difficult to discern what is really best for you, but then once you've discovered that, you just do that thing. Your desires are, are just married up with your will, and you live that out. If you desire thing A, you go out and get thing A. It's that simple. That's why it's an easy path. And of course, the wide gate and easy path seem good, but we know that it leads to every antithesis. That means opposite of the kingdom, of what Christ's kingdom is all about. That's where the path leads. The wide gate and easy path lead to self-righteous jerks. They lead to unbridled hatred and lust, rampant divorce, unending cycles of vengeance, widespread hypocrisy, excessive greed, deep-seated anxieties and worry, and an environment of judgment. Here's how Isaiah describes our, our situation in Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've wandered from the path. We have turned everyone to his own way. Or here's how David puts it in Psalm 14, which Paul will later quote in Romans, Romans 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek for God. But they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. This, friends, is the wide and easy path, living apart from God, in defiance of his wisdom, in rebellion against his law. And that's why it leads to destruction. Jesus says there are many people, perhaps most, who have entered the wide gate and are on the easy path. And all those people, though they think they're living the good life, are really marching towards their own destruction. What does Jesus mean by destruction? 
Hear the words of Jesus from the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. This is chapter 21. Notice the difference, the nuance between inheritances here. The one who conquers will have his heritage or inheritance, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All three of these passage, passages excuse me, that we read said that those who walk the wide and easy path will forfeit their inheritance in the kingdom of God. And here Jesus says the same. Those who conquer will have their inheritance. But those who enter by the wide and easy gate will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Jesus is talking about hell, being forever cut off from all that is good, that is true, that is beautiful, never beholding the shining face of God in Jesus Christ, never being satisfied. Jesus is saying in verse 13 that it's really easy to go to hell. The gate is wide. The way is easy. Those who enter by it are many. And that is a really sobering thought. It should give us just sincere pause at, at Jesus' words here at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. If you don't desire anything the kingdom stands for, then you're an enemy of the king. If you're going to ruin his new city that he desires to build, then he's never going to let you enter it. Jesus is never going to let enemies of the good, true, and beautiful threaten his people and their eternal joy in his kingdom. Therefore, Jesus is going to end his sermon with a call to action. To everyone sitting on the mountain, he commands them, enter by the narrow gate. I've just described the kingdom of God. If this is what the kind of kingdom you want, then enter by the narrow gate. And his words to us 2,000 years later are the exact same. Enter by the narrow, ga narrow gate. He's just described what the kingdom is about, and he's inviting people into it, but there's only one way to enter it, by the narrow gate. And so verse 14 says, transitioning now to the other path, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Just as the gate that leads to destruction is wide, the gate that leads to life is narrow. Jesus tells us what this door is in John chapter 10. And so it should be on the screen here in a second, but here he says in verses 7 to 10 what the door is. What is the narrow gate? Jesus has just explained to people that he's the good shepherd, and his audience didn't get it. They seemed really confused. So he's going to try it again. He's going to explain who he is to them one more time. He says, I truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The narrow gate isn't a what, it's a who. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the door. Whereas the wide gate was rebellion against God and his Christ, the narrow gate is surrendering directly to that king. There's only one way to have life, and that's through Christ. The Bible shouts this truth in many different places. Here's some examples. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. James 4, 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Matthew 12, 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Or 1 Timothy 2.5, 1 
For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And then Peter, at his sermon on Pentecost, ends with, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men, that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He's talking about Christ and his name. There's no one else. There's no other name. There's no other gate. There's no other path. There's no other Savior. It's Christ alone. Christ is the gate. The only path that leads to life leads right through Christ. Have you entered that gate? Young person, have you entered that gate? Old person, have you entered that gate? Maybe husband or wife who's, who's just here because their spouse and kids are here. Have you entered that gate? Right? Anyone who was raised in the church and you just kind of assumed you're a Christian, have you really entered the, the gate? Have you gone through Christ? How do we enter the gate? Well, if the gate is Christ, if the gate is Christ, if the door that the sheep come through is Christ himself, what does it mean to enter through Christ? Right? That's kind of an odd prepositional phrase or command there. So let's go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It means recognizing your own spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are those who mourn. It means repenting over being sad about the evil, wide, easy paths that you've been on, repenting of your sin. Blessed are the meek. It means recognizing that you have nothing to offer God because of your spiritual bankruptcy. You come to him weak and needy, and that's it. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means really desiring, seeing you, yourself for what you really are, but desiring to be different, desiring righteousness that's not your own. That place is the place in which you're ready to come to Christ. He's already promised. Josh taught this last week. And this is really sweet. This is really sweet. If this hunger and thirst causes you to seek the kingdom, you will find it. Christ says your righteousness must surpass the scribes of the Pharisees. So if you ask for a righteousness that is not your own, Christ will give it to you. He will give you his righteousness and take your sins to the cross. If you knock, the door to his heavenly city will be open to you. Christ will turn no one away who seeks him with a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a promise. If you see your wickedness for what it really is, if you really want his kingdom... Christ will never turn you away. He will welcome you into his city of refuge. He will make you clean. He will give you the Holy Spirit. Hear me loud and clear. Christ will not turn anyone away. If you seek, you will find. If you ask, it will be given. If you knock, the door will be opened to you. When Peter taught this, when he preached his big Pentecost Day sermon, the crowd was cut to the heart. They felt all this. They said, what must we do to be saved? And so in Acts chapter 2, Peter said, he replied this way. I think it's on the screen, yep. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, to any the Lord may call to himself. So how do you enter the gate? You repent and believe. You turn from the wide and easy path of sin and rebellion that you've been on, and you turn to the narrow gate Christ himself, who can cleanse you and change you. And then you're baptized as a seal of God's promised forgiveness of sins, as a gift to all who believe, as a gift. You're baptized as you identify with Christ's death, 
making it your death, and Christ's resurrection, making it your resurrection. Young people, I want to make it just a special appeal to you. A lot of you are sitting right here. We've got a lot of kids out there as well. I'm talking to you today, really. I just was burdened with this as I was preparing. As you come of age, as you kind of come out from underneath your parents' authority, you venture out on your own, you start taking on more responsibility, there are a lot of paths that start to open up for you. As you move further and further out into the world, the world will promise all sorts of false pleasures, all sorts of false freedoms to you that it will never make good on. And this, this world will promise you the moon if you just follow your heart. Lots, there are lots of paths that look good. What you'll actually find at the end of all those paths is slavery. Your sins will never satisfy you, even though they look good, and Satan promises you that they will. They will not. Sexual immorality will not satisfy you. Drunkenness or drugs will not set you free. Money will not buy you lasting happiness. Your career will never offer to die for your sins. Young people, I know because when I was your age, which was not very long ago at all, right? I was enslaved to lust, to filthy language, to pleasing men rather than God. And what was the result? I was filled with worry, with guilt, with doubt. I was not satisfied. You don't want that. Don't go that way. Enter by the narrow gate. If you want true freedom, if you want joy, if you want to be satisfied and have life to the fullest, life abundantly, as Christ says, then enter by the narrow gate. Repent, believe, and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The narrow gate, only Christ, leads to life. All other paths, ultimately, though they may seem good at first, lead to destruction and hell. But Jesus wants to warn you and warn us all that not only is the narrow gate narrow, but the path is hard, which actually is a little confusing because if the gate is simple, repent, believe, be baptized. Why is it hard? In a way, that seems kind of easy. Christ doesn't say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Christ doesn't say, stop sinning and be perfect. He says, trust me, come to me, take my righteousness, I will make you clean. In a sense, that seems really easy. So why does Christ say that it's actually hard? Because it means you have to die. The path that leads to life is a path that starts with your own death. That's why the Christian life starts with baptism and is called a new birth by Jesus. Your old self that idolized your comfort, your safety, your own happiness, your own position and social standing and glory, your own wisdom, that self has to die. Paul says in Romans 6, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus didn't die so that you could live. Jesus died so that you could die too. But he also rose from the dead so that you could be raised from the dead to walk in newness of life as well. Your old life has to end so abruptly that Jesus calls this a new birth. And when you become a Christian, we symbolically drown you in water, right? As you identify with Christ's own death, we bury your old self. You leave it behind and we raise you up out of those waters, a new man or a new woman. You have to be willing to die to enter through that narrow gate. 
Listen to these verses that say it as well. Again, Romans 6, 3-4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Or consider also John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't enter that gate. Or Matthew 16, 24 to 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Be willing to be crucified. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will actually find it. In Galatians 2.20, this is shocking. We've heard this so many times that it doesn't land on us like it should. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the paradox of the Christian faith. That the path, the only path that leads to life, starts with your death. This is why Jesus says the narrow gate leads on to a hard path. If you're going to come to Christ and enter through that door, you have to be willing to let him put to death that old way of life, your old self, and to make you new. So why do so few find it? Well, who's out there asking for and seeking a new life? If you really enjoy the wide and easy path that you're on, you're not going to bother to ask for a new kind of righteous or knock on the door. But... To those who do ask, a new life will be given to them. To those who seek, they will find the kingdom. And to those who knock on the door, ready to die, that door will be open to them. Jesus said, I am the door, and I came that the sheep might have life and have it abundantly. He's talking about spiritual newness of life as we do good deeds and bear fruit, all from faith, the first and last. But because life is contrasted with destruction in this passage, He's primarily thinking of eternal life. Life in the kingdom, when it's consummated, the very end of the Bible, this is how the Apostle John describes it as he sees in a vision. This is Revelation 21, 1-4. This is the kind of life Jesus offers us if we're willing to die. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The king will live among us. There will be no more pain or sadness or death. Everything will be made new. That's the life Christ offers us if we're willing to enter through the narrow gate. We begin to experience it now in the church among the saints, but ultimately it comes in its fullness at his second coming. So today Christ sets before us life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. To end our time together by way of application, I just want to prompt you with a few thoughts. So first, to anyone who has not entered by the narrow gate, Young person, if you have not entered by the narrow gate, enter by the narrow gate. I'll give you the same command as Christ in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, believe, 
be baptized. If Christ's words today have gripped your soul, come talk to me after service. Come talk to Pastor Josh. Come talk to any one of our, our elder candidates. Don't stop to chat. Don't sneak out the door. If God has guided you and directed you here to hear these words, to hear his offer of eternal life and salvation, his call to enter through himself, the narrow gate, then come talk to us. We want to pray with you. We want to baptize you and teach you to convey all that Christ has commanded you. We want to walk with you on the narrow path that's very hard. We want to welcome you into Christ's kingdom and the family of God. And then to parents and grandparents especially, find some time this week to tell your own children of the life you had to leave behind to enter through that narrow gate. Take them out to ice cream or coffee or, or whatever and just share with them the story of, of what God did in you, of the life you were living that he put to death and the new life that he gave you when you entered through the narrow gate. Tell them about that. Share with them the story. God commands his people in Israel all throughout the Old Testament to erect memorial stones and altars and things like that to remember like when they cross the River Jordan, they erect 12 stones. So like 100 years later, 200 years later, 1,000 years later, people are like, hey, Dad, what are those stones about? And then they can tell their, their children and their grandchildren and their great-great-grandchildren what God did for them in the desert to bring them out of Egypt. Parents, do that with your own children. Share with them the exodus from slavery that Christ led you on. To everybody who's been through the door, Remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. In small group this week or at our church picnic this afternoon, don't just let small talk, surface level, superficial talk dominate. Right? That's fine. That's beautiful. We want to know each other, what's going on. But ask somebody. Tell me about your baptism. Tell me about your conversion. Tell me about when you came to faith. Share your testimonies with one another. And then confess how we're still tempted to leave the narrow path. It's hard. The narrow path is hard to follow. We need each other's prayer and guidance and shepherding to stay on the narrow path. It never gets easy. Pray earnestly for this, that none of us would fall away. We need to pray for that. God uses the means of prayer for each other to preserve us in the faith. We need to be praying for each other that none of us would wander from the path and betray our king. And finally, to everyone in this room, go read Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't already, go buy it this afternoon and just read a chapter each, you know, each night at dinner or like once a week with your family and you'll see it's just a beautiful description and it's really appropriate for any age. It's a beautiful story of what it's like to leave your old life behind, to enter through the narrow gate and follow Christ on the hard path. I just want to end by reading these beautiful verses from the uh, song we sang just before the sermon. Think about as I read this, just how hard the narrow path is, can be. And then think about where it leads and the life that lies ahead of us if we enter by the narrow gate. A glorious band of the chosen few on whom the Spirit came, twelve valiant saints, their hope they knew and mocked the cross in flame. They met the tyrant's brandished seal, the lion's gory mane. They bowed their necks the death to feel who follows in their train. A noble army, men and boys, the matron and the maid. Around the Savior's throne rejoice in robes of light arrayed. They climbed the steep ascent of heaven through peril, toil, and pain. O oh God, to us may grace be given to follow in their train. Amen.
You can invite our musicians to come on up and prepare for our last song. Please just take the next minute while they get ready. Spend some time in, in prayer between you and God and, and just meditating on this call to enter by the narrow gate, to stay on the hard path, and persevere to the throne of Christ.